We are going to turn to 2 Peter chapter 1 this morning. We're kind of in between series, so it's a bit of a one-off diversion, but hopefully it'll be clear in a few minutes why this seems like a good place to go. So, 2 Peter 1, starting verse 3. His, that is God, His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and excellence, by which He has granted to us His precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from corruption that is in the world and because of sinful desire. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election, for if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord Jesus, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It's the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, let's pray. Father, we... We know that all of, of your word is meant to give us life, but we pray in particular this morning that you would speak to us through this passage, that we would understand more richly what it is you have in store for everyone who believes. And Lord, where we have questions this morning, where we have concerns, where we have doubts, would you speak and clarify? and bring conviction, we ask in Christ's name. Amen. Well, last week we ended a series in Daniel, and I think the, one of the big things to take away from the book of Daniel was that we're called to faithfulness in the midst of all kinds of challenges. Of course, the trick is, how do you become faithful? We're, we're going to start next week with a series picking up where we had left off last fall in Genesis, and we're going to talk about uh, Isaac and then Jacob and Jacob's children, and these are all people that need a lot of help. Uh, we're going to see over and over and over again in that series a lot of people that are desperately in need of change. And so, I take us to this passage this morning because it helps us understand a lot of the central dynamics of what it means to be changed. And we all, well, we want to change, but we don't want to change. Uh, sometimes we tell people, never change. Of course, when we're mad at them, we say, you never change. <laughs> what is it we want? And moreover, when we, when we think about changing, you know, the challenge is change usually costs you something. To really make a change in your life is usually costly in some way. 
Sometimes we want to make a change, but we don't have the stamina. We don't have the focus. We don't seem to have the will to follow through. In this passage, is telling us that it is God who brings real change. And He brings real change by His power. He brings real change to make us partakers in His character. And He brings real change through His preservation. There's three P's in there, if that's helpful to you. By His power to make us partakers in His character and through His preservation. So, let's think first about how He changes us by His power. This is where the passage starts. His divine nature has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. His divine power. It is God's power that is the one that changes. Period. It is God's power that changes us. Our own catechism actually gets at this. When it talks about the process of being changed, and, which is sanctification, it says sanctification is a work of God's free grace. It's a work of God's free grace. And see, this is so important to drive home this point, that it is God's power that changes us because we often miss it. Many who are not in the church, and you know, quite a few that probably are in the church, tend to think that what Christianity is about what the gospel is about is what we do. It's about us being changed, us becoming good people. And it is not about us being the active agents. Even, even when we have a slightly more orthodox viewpoint within the church, we tend to think, well, it is God who initiates everything. Yeah, God, yeah. Jesus acted on our behalf. God initiated everything, but it's up to me to follow through. Now, I'm not… we're going to talk in a minute about (laughs) our responsibility in the midst of this, but don't miss this point. While we do have responsibility, it is God's power at work that changes us from beginning to end. It is God's power that changes us which is why it is through knowledge of God. That's where he, he goes on to, in verse 3, to talk about our knowledge of Him. And it's by, his, by our knowledge of Him that He grants us His very great and precious promises. The way into this power, though there's a great mystery about the power at work in us, is not mysterious. It is through knowledge of God. In particular, it's through knowledge of Jesus. Because the the goal of all this is not for us to become (laughs) the power at work in our own lives. It is to know the power of God Himself. This is really at the heart of why the gospel it's hard to classify if it's, if it's inclusive or exclusive. <laughs> um, on the one hand, the gospel is completely inclusive. Anyone can come. Anyone. It does not matter what you've done. 
that the free grace of God is enough. So it's inclusive in that sense because God can do, can make a change, can do what He wants in anyone's life, no matter how far gone they seem to be. And yet, it's exclusive on this particular point. Whether you want to drive this or whether God's going to drive it. See, in that sense, it's exclusive to the extent that we want to be the one in control, that we want to be the one that's the power at work in our own lives to bring about the change we want. Or is it God? The demarcation that Christianity makes is not between those who are good enough and those who aren't. It really is more about those who think they are good enough and those who know they aren't. And blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, who know that they don't have it in and of themselves. And everything God provides by His power is life and godliness. It's an interesting turn of phrase. Life and godliness, it seems like that's just saying, well, everything and nothing at the same time. But the word life here is zoe. Um, There's two Greek words for life. You know, you're probably familiar with these, right? There's bios, from which we get words like biology, biography, sort of the facts of how life is or works, the facts of a person's life. Zoe is a qualitative term a life that's worth living. It's, it appears, by the way, all over the place in the Gospel of John where Jesus keeps talking about how He came to bring life. Sometimes He calls it eternal life. That's, that's what's being talked about here. Not just life is the mere facts of existence, but a life worth living. A meaningful life. And to say that, so what we're being told then is God's power is at work to change us into having a meaningful life. And godliness helps us to understand what that meaningful life really looks like. The goal of the meaningful life is to become more godly. Now, we have a lot of goals in our lives, right? Maybe you have relationship goals, And then those morph into family goals, maybe, at some point. You have career goals, and maybe those morph into retirement goals at some point in your life. We have a lot of goals, a lot of things that we want to accomplish. And yet, Scripture is clear over and over and over again, the thing that makes a life worth living, the thing that makes a life meaningful, is to become godly. to become more like Him. And, you know, it is really the fact, a fact of life, (laughs) that sooner or later, and maybe many times along the way, the goal of godliness will go against the grain of our other goals. As sooner or later, those choices come your way. Not all the time, and it's not wrong to have all those other goals, but there are are times, and they happen inevitably. 
when we feel the strain between those. And what Peter is reminding us, what all Scripture reminds us, is it's better to be godly than to have achieved everything we wanted. And I know that godliness sounds a little boring, but (laughs) think about how he describes it. Being called, this is at the end of verse 3, into God's glory and excellence. And as I say, to be called into His beauty. And think about that for a minute. Think about what it means to take in something beautiful. Uh, You know, maybe you've had the chance to see a painting that you really find compelling and just sit for a while. Maybe there's particular music that appeals to you, right? I mean, sooner or later, right, there's, there's some moment in your teenage years where there's a song that's just like bowls you over. And you just want to listen to it over and over and over again, but be kind of swept away by it. What we're told that is, well, the beauty of God is often described as His glory, His excellence. The beauty that makes every other beauty seem kind of dull. I mean, that's what godliness means. That's what it means to be caught up into it. And in this sense, that is exactly what we want, to be caught up into something beautiful and compelling like that. And to know that this is all God's work ought to lead us more and more into prayer. You might say prayer is the litmus test of this particular point. The more that we understand that it is God's power at work, the more we want to be in His presence, to enjoy His beauty and to ask Him to be at work in us more and more completely. If you want to ask yourself, am I really trusting in the Lord? Am I trusting in His power? Then ask yourself this, how often are you in prayer? That is the place to go, (laughs) to access it. It is the place to go, to behold Him in His glory and in all His excellencies. It's in prayer. And to talk about his, own, his glory is to start to get us into the second point, that God changes us to make us partakers in his character. Notice how Peter keeps, continues on. He says, uh, all of this is so that, this is about halfway through verse 4, through them you may become partakers of the divine nature. I mean, that's a lot to think about. And to be honest, a lot of theologians have, over the centuries, gone round and round about exactly what that means, and I won't rehearse all that for you. But it is to say this. Of course, it doesn't mean that we become like God in the sense that we're omnipotent, omniscient, all the omni words. It means we grow His character, that by His power, He is making us more and more like Him. 
which is what we were made to be in the first place, right? We were made to be in His image. And so what God is doing to change us is to make us, in one sense, what we were always supposed to be. Except now it's a little different because it's not just to live into that, but it is to lay aside what is evil and it is to put back on what is good. And that's exactly where he goes, right? So at the end of verse 4, he says that by, you know, as we become partakers in that divine nature, we escape from corruption that's in the world because of our sinful desires. So there is this piece of escaping our, from sin. But also, and don't miss this point, there is what we are called into. Never miss this point. Because Peter is doing the same thing that Paul does over and over and over again. When he tells us about sin we are supposed to put off, he also tells us what we are supposed to put on. And it's a peculiar dysfunction of religious people that we tend to hear all the things we're not supposed to do and we ignore what we're supposed to do. We hear negation, right? What, what am I supposed to be as a Christian? I'm supposed to stop doing this, that, and the other thing. And that's true. That's certainly part of it. And there are people who don't pay enough attention to that. I, okay, fair enough. But more often than not, what you hear in churches is all the things people know they're not supposed to be doing. And they miss what they're supposed to become what they're supposed to be growing into. And that's what Paul, or <laughs> Paul, that's what Peter gets into in verses 5 through 7, that long list. We're supposed to grow from faith into virtue and knowledge and self-control and steadfastness and godliness and brotherly affection and love. You know, we could maybe some other time think about each of those things <laughs> individually but notice this, Paul's not talking, or I keep saying Paul, Peter is not thinking about, you know, one thing you do and then you move on to the next. He is talking about what a healthy person looks like and how that, all that continues to build and mutually reinforce one another. And so there is a sense of trajectory, but it's not forgetting what was before, but building on it. And the trajectory moves us from faith right, that trust in the Lord into, a, into changed lives, into deeper knowledge of Him. And it moves all the way into things like brotherly love and godly love. Uh, brotherly affection here is that word Philadelphia. And love, at the end of this line, is agape, godly love. And so you can see the trajectory as it unfolds. And you can also tell, and this is, again, something that's so essential for us to understand, that this is not a list of things to do. It is a disposition to be cultivated. Let me say that again. It's not a list of things to do. It is a disposition to be cultivated. In other words, this whole list is centered on your heart, not primarily your actions. Not that your actions are bad and not that, you know, your life shouldn't produce good actions, but that actions are easy to fake. 
if all God wanted for you to do was just a set of things you could check off a list that they've been accomplished, then for many of us, our hearts would never be engaged because we would settle for making sure we've gone down the checklist. And maybe that's why we often miss it, why we're stuck on the things we know we shouldn't do, and we often miss the things that we should do because we don't want to deal with our hearts. Because what Peter is telling us is kind of scary. It's a little more elusive. You might find as you think through these things that though you think one thing has grown with a little more time, you find there are new depths of change that are needed. And yet, maybe that analogy about beauty is so helpful here. Because it's not just about staring at something beautiful, watching something, passively listening to something. We're being called to engage it. This is a work of art that, in other words, is not meant to be untouched. It's meant to be engaged. It's an immersive experience, if you like. That the, the artist is not merely interested in putting something on display for us to come and watch. The artist wants it to be fully engaging. I mean, have you, have you ever been to a great concert where you didn't just feel like you were sitting back but that you were somehow part of what was going on. That's, really, you know, that's the really great performers can pull that off. Somehow you feel like, man, I'm not just here watching like we're part of this thing. I mean, that's just a little picture <laughs> of what we're talking about. That that is the kind of beauty of God's character, is that He wants not merely for us to appreciate it, his character from a distance, he actually wants to grow that character in us. In that character, we can even put a finer point on it, is the character of Jesus himself. Because just like when Paul gives you the fruit of the Spirit, when you read Peter here, if you're paying attention and you think to yourself, who is the one who is faithful and virtuous knowledgeable and self-controlled and steadfast, whose life is defined by godliness and brotherly affection and godly love. I mean, who does that describe? But Christ. In that sense, then, it's no surprise, then, that the idea of, be, of the image of God and being changed back into the image of God morphs in the New Testament into being changed into the image of Christ Himself. Because the very way in which we know the character of God is in Jesus. And the way in which we see all of those qualities of His character lived out most fully, most completely, is in Christ. 
Think about this. I mean, the culmination of Jesus' life itself is the cross. And in taking up the cross, has He not shown us what it looks like to be faithful? In His determination to go to the cross, does He not show His virtue? In His pursuit of the sacrificial call of the Messiah, does He not show what it means to really know God and His Word? In His silence before His accusers, does He not show us what self-control looks like? In His agony, does He not show us steadfastness? In His laying aside of His own safety, does He not show us His own godliness? In bringing many sons to glory by giving up His life, Does He not show us what brotherly love looks like? In His death and in His resurrection, that is the moment that the love of God is clearest because it is in giving His life for us and being raised from the dead for our full redemption that we have confidence in the love of God, that He has not left us as we are, but has come after us See, what God is about is by His power making us like Him. That's the goal of life, is to grow the character of Jesus. And everything short of that is a disappointment. Let's just be crystal clear about that. I mean, again, we have lots of goals in our lives, but anything short of growing into the character of Jesus is a disappointment. It's wasted time. <laughs> I'm not saying we don't have other goals. And in fact, where is, that, where is that character learned but in those relationships, in those responsibilities, in those choices that we make? Yes, Absolutely. That's where it's learned, that's where it's expressed, that's where it finds, well, really, it's defining characteristics in our individual lives. And yet, and yet, and yet, what good is it to have gained the world and forfeit your soul? That's what Jesus is talking about, right? What good is it? I can gain so many things, but I, if I haven't, grown in the character of Jesus Himself. It's all been a waste of time. But here's the final thing. It is through His preservation that He changes us. Peter goes on to hold out two different paths, right? He says, if these, this is verse 8, if these qualities are yours and are increasing, if you're growing in these, you're going to be effective and fruitful. That's what he tells you. You're going to be effective and fruitful. Verse 9, by contrast, if you lack these, you will be like somebody who's, you know, I think the image here is being suddenly stricken blind, right, where you don't have any idea how to navigate the world around you. If you're not growing in these things, you have forgotten what Christ has done, is what he says. 
And that's a strong warning. It's not the main point here, because Peter's main point is to encourage us on. And yet, there is a warning here. Our sense of responsibility in the midst of all this is is real. And yet, and yet, it is still the power of God that is the thing at work. It's the power of God that makes it all work. It's the power of God on display in Jesus that gives us the confidence to take the risks that godliness calls us to. To step out contrary to our fears in ways in which we're called. And in that sense, he he says in verse 10, that when you're diligent in these things, you confirm your calling and election. Again, those are strong terms about God's initiative (laughs) to call us, to choose us. And following in the character of Christ gives us assurance in that sense. Now, it's not our final assurance, and no doubt, no doubt, I think probably anybody who's been in the church for a long time can tell you they know the feeling of being up and down. We know stories, maybe some of them are our stories, of people who have struggled in great ways. And yet, and yet, this is not a story about today being so much better than yesterday. This is about the change that God is working over a lifetime. I think the term fruitful that he uses back in verse 8 is telling because that builds on the agricultural metaphors that the Bible uses all over the place. In particular, Jesus uses all over the place to describe what real spiritual growth and health is like. It is like a tree planted by water. You know, where, do, where does a tree get its health from? The soil it's planted in and the water it's given. That's where a tree gets its health, right? It's not like you and I, right? What we eat <laughs> affects our health. And all these biblical metaphors are so telling because what we're looking for is not, man, can I say today that I'm so much better than I was yesterday? It is, is God growing this fruit in me over time? And yeah, there are setbacks. There are, to continue with the agricultural stuff, there are dry seasons, there are droughts but there's also rainy seasons as well when the growth seems to happen more quickly. Don't be scared of Peter's warning. Engage it. Engage the calling to dig deeper into the promises of God, into these qualities that he tells us he will grow in us because he has guaranteed that growth. He has guaranteed that growth by giving his son for us. By giving the Spirit who applies everything that Jesus has given. It is His power that is at work. We don't need to be scared. We need to delve deeper into Him. 
And the solution when things feel dry, when we feel like we're, we are experiencing setbacks, which we may be experiencing, the solution to that is not to fall back into my own work, my own willpower. The solution is to look to the one who powers this whole thing. It is God, who has made good on His power, who has shown His character by sending His Son for you, who died for you and has risen from the dead, so that what He promises will not fail. Let's pray. Father, we thank You that we have everything we need for life and godliness because You are the one at work. It is Your power that sustains us even through difficulties. It is Your power that changes us into the very character of Jesus. Lord, I pray that You would teach us to turn away from religiosity, from faking mere obedience. And instead, Lord, You would Teach us to be discontent with that, to be more concerned with the disposition of our hearts, to be more concerned with the beauty of your glory, to be more concerned to look to you than to be confident in ourselves. We ask all of this in Christ's name. Amen.